Hey, it's Armin, and this is the second episode of Touching Grass. So nice to have you here. Um, this is my second time recording this because I lost the first recording. Hopefully, I don't lose this one too. Wish me luck. Um, before we start the episode, uh, let me just mention a couple things. The T-shirt is out. Kickstarter is up. Thank you so so much. Uh, I I spoke about the fact that we had one pound for um last episode. As of now, we actually have thirty five pounds, which is insane. Like the amount of support is just amazing. Uh, the Kickstarter actually doesn't go through until we hit a hundred. So any more support, would I would be so so happy if you guys helped out. Um, apart from that, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Uh, all you can find in the link tree that I'll put in the bio. But without further ado, welcome to take two of episode two, The DMT Toad. In the early 90s, there was a bit of a craze in the media. Now, when you look around, you'll find thousands and thousands of articles and reports all talking about toad licking. Toad licking. People were grabbing toads and licking them. Now, the point of this was to get high by ingesting the juices that this special species of toad produces on its back. Now, the species itself has a lot of different names. Bufo alvarius, Inchilius alvarius. Colloquially, though, it's known as the Colorado River toad or the Sonoran Desert toad. Now, this toad is in the Bufo family of toads. These toads all have special glands on their back, which produces a huge variety of compounds. Now, of these compounds, some examples are bufogenin and bufotoxin, named after the family of toads itself. There's a lot of different compounds in the juice, and each has different chemistry and pharmacology. But the toad lickers were after something specific. They were looking for one of the strongest visionary psychedelics on Earth. They'd lick it, and the point was to trip. Euphoria, visions, hallucinations. The chemicals that cause this, as I'll explain later, are DMT-derived, specifically bufotenin and 5-MBO-DMT. All of the toad-licking stories are clustered around the Americas in places where the bufo toad is indigenous. There's also some stories in Australia because recently the bufo toad has become an invasive problem there. Now, the point of this episode isn't to talk about the teenagers who are grabbing toads and licking them. The point is to actually explain how there's a huge and rich history behind these toads. And actually, for thousands of years, the power of these toads has been known by indigenous groups across the world. What I want to talk about is these Mesoamerican cultures who recently we've been finding out have been using it for so, so long. The Aztecs, the Olmecs, the Mayans, there's so much history here. Toads are found everywhere in the bits and pieces left behind by these ancient societies. The symbol of the toad is actually a massive part of the mythology and the beliefs of these groups in Mesoamerica. And one thing that's really interesting is the way it's always associated with this idea of a mother goddess. Now, the archetype of a mother goddess is found all across the world. This idea of a feminine, fertile source of the earth and nature. 
this is actually something I do want to talk about in another episode. But for now, in the Aztec tradition, the mother goddess was called Tatakutli. In the Aztec creation story, Tatakutli's dismembered body was the basis for the world. As it goes, there were four earth gods, Tatakutli, Coatlicue, Kiwakotl, and Tatalotl. Now, Tatakutli was a sea monster. She embodied all of the chaos that came before the earth was created. There were supposedly two gods that descended from the heavens because they decided that such a horrible creature like Tatakutli shouldn't be allowed to roam the earth. They came down, they squared up to her, and after a long and violent fight, she was ripped to pieces. Supposedly, her upper half became the sky and her lower half became the earth. Now, the other gods saw this and were angered by the way that she was butchered. And in respect, they decided that different parts of her should become the parts of the new world. Her skin became grass and flowers, her hair the trees and herbs, her eyes springs and wells, her nose hills and valleys, her shoulders the mountains and her mouth the caves and rivers. In Artifact, Tatakutli is shown as a kind of toad creature with huge jaguar claws, a gaping mouth and crocodile skin. In Carvings, a lot of the time they show her with blood flowing out of her mouth or a knife between her teeth in reference to the fact that she thirsted for human blood. Sometimes they'd show her knees and elbows dressed with human skulls and she'd wear a skirt made of human bones. Now, the Earth Mother being a toad isn't just true for the Aztecs. You actually find it across the various different indigenous groups in South America. The toad as a symbol is often associated with other animal features. Like I mentioned, she had jaguar claws and fangs. And you can see a lot of examples of this in archaeological findings. One of these examples is Yugos. Now, there was an old Disney film that I loved called The Road to El Dorado. Um, It was about two guys who find El Dorado and they were trying to take all of the gold. But um, the point of this is that if you've watched it, you'll remember that they play a ball game. Now, that ball game is called Pock to Pock. And the point of it was to try and get the ball through a hoop using everything but your hands. It was quite like football. Now, Yugos came into this as these horseshoe-shaped little stone things that they'd wear on their belts. We don't know what function they served, but when you look at the stones, you'll find that they're really intricately carved. And very, very often, you'll see that they depict toads. And archaeologists think that the toads are in reference to that same Earth Mother. This symbol of a toad is beyond any language barriers, any cultural barriers or geographical barriers in South America. For some reason, there's a kind of similar vision of a transcendent toad god across the continent, and it props up in all of the effigies and art and symbols you see of the cultures. And it doesn't just stop there. There's actually hundreds of stories in different cultures with this same idea of a hero who's taught how to hunt by a toad woman a toad woman who's identical to the earth goddess we just talked about. The toad woman mentors shamans and she's a shaman herself. She can transform between the form of a toad and the form of a jaguar, and she's a kind of source of wisdom and divination. 
Now, as a note, it's, I think it's important to talk about what a shaman actually is because we're going to talk about them a lot and we'll probably talk about them a lot in future episodes. Now, a shaman is usually quite respected in a society and they're known for interacting with the spirit world. They do this by altering their consciousness in methods like trance. Now, they reach these trances by the aid of meditation and things like group rituals. And very often you'll find that they use hallucinogens, chemicals that can change their consciousness. The goal is often to direct spirits or energies from the spirit world into the physical world to heal, to aid humans and for divination. But back to the toad goddess, the point is that she's often involved with these shamans. She is a shaman herself, we said, and she's mystical, she's transcendent, and she's a source of this spiritual other. Now, again, this image isn't unique to any single culture. For some reason, each of these independent societies has reached one archetype of the toad. One paper I found described the toad goddess in a, in a helpful way that I think sums up what the toad goddess was for all of these different cultures. It described her as a protector, a mentor, a foster mother, a teacher of hunting skills, a regenerator, but also a bringer of fire and death. In one tradition, the Earth Mother is one of the very few female gods they have. And her character really embodies the general idea of this toad goddess. She's really do do dualistic. She's really do do. She's really dualistic. She's a creator and a cultivator but she's also a figure of death and the underworld. She has a human form, which is this old grey-haired cannibal lady with huge breasts and a really swollen vulva as a symbol of how fertile the earth is. Her animal form isn't just a generic toad, though. We actually know that specifically she's depicted as the bufo toad, the toad that we started with. Really interestingly, there's parallels in other cultures further across the world about this kind of mystical toad. Now, in China and Japan, toads appear as magical helpers, as spiritual guides, and as well as demons. They present themselves as mentors and the alter egos of shamans. There's these amazing old stories of Japanese sages who went up into caves and mountains and were taught magic by these giant toads that lived there. You find it in Europe as well, with the idea of toadstools. Now, toadstools is that name given to the really famous red and white spotted mushroom. Now, the mushroom is called Amanita muscaria, or fly agaric. It's a hallucinogenic, and all across Europe, it's associated with magic and transformation. Again, how did such a small and unassuming little creature become this global archetype of deep and rich mystical culture? People have been confused about this issue for so long. Archaeologists and anthropologists for, for ages have regarded it as like a mystery. But there is one explanation, and a lot of academics do support it. And it's all about the fact that these toads are psychedelic. The idea is that indigenous groups must have discovered the psychedelic potential of the toads, and by experimenting with them, they had these transcendental experiences from which the stories and symbols of toad gods and shamans were born. Now, do we actually know if these indigenous groups used it? It's a really controversial topic, but there is a huge amount of evidence in favour of it.
there was an archaeologist called Gene Runquist who was uncovering this ancient Native American burial sites. And what she found was alongside the human remains, there were these skeletons of more than 10,000 toads. When they looked at the skeletons, they managed to identify the species, and it was none other than the Sonoran Desert Toad. Toads weren't just found in burial sites, though. They're found in sacrificial sites and also in pottery vessels. It's thought that the toads were put in these pots alongside a liquor that you can get from the bark of a tree and mixed with fermented honey as a, as a drink. There's also records of this in person. There was a lot of European anthropologists back from like the 17th century who used to travel to South America and describe indigenous communities. I actually found one of these and it's amazing because it's dated from like the 1750s. I'll read out what he says. Ten specimens of this toad are gathered. The paratoid glands are removed and ground into a thick paste. To this paste is added lime and the ashes of a plant called tamtwili, prepared by roasting the plant on a kamar. He goes on to talk about how they add water and they boil it overnight. They filter it with coconut fibers and add a whole lot of extra stuff. But the result, as he describes, is a hardened dome. Now, it's kept in the forest far away from humans, and they used to build these small huts, especially just to keep these drugs. Another theory is about the Olmec people. For a long time, there's this structure that has been discovered, which is a kind of water system of these U-shaped troughs. And on one side, there's a rain god, and on the other side, there's a duck statue. Supposedly, the water system was a way to provide grounds for these toads to reproduce and spawn and to allow ducks to feed on them. In eating the toads, the ducks would filter out all of the poisonous compounds and actually build up DMT in their tissues. The theory goes that the people would then eat the, the ducks ceremonially and access the hallucinogen. It's really interesting, actually, because these ducks are a massive theme in Olmec culture. There's masks and statues, and there's depictions of these shamans wearing duck costumes at rituals. Now, the idea of people using animals as a way of kind of like filtering out these drugs is sounds insane. But when you look across the world, again, you see that this actually has been found. For example, there's a lizard in Peru that's eaten for its aphrodisiac properties. Now, the lizards get this by eating the fruit of a carob tree. Now, normally the fruit is inedible because it's poisonous, but the lizards metabolize it and filter out all of the bad stuff and are left with the things that are supposedly an aphrodisiac. There's another really cool example about these Siberian shamanic tribes, like the Koryak and the Yukagir. Now, apparently they used to eat the flesh and the urine of reindeers that have eaten fly agaric, that mushroom that we talked about. Through doing this, they become intoxicated and the reindeer actually do as well. If you watch the reindeer eat the mushrooms, you'll see them dance around and run and sprint and roll about. Finally, there's a kind of psychedelic fish found off the coast of Peru called the borracho. Now, this translates to the drunken fish. It feeds on this toxic algae, and after eating it, its body converts it into these chemicals that are actually psychoactive. 
So when you eat the flesh of the fish, it's really hallucinogenic and supposedly it gets you high. Okay, so let's talk about DMT itself. I mentioned at the start of the episode about this compound called bufotenine. Now, that's the name that pharmacologists gave the compound 5-OH-DMT. This, as well as 5-MeO-DMT, give the toad its psychedelic aspect. The compounds bind to serotonin receptors in your brain and they excite them and they cause the euphoria and the hallucinations that people get when they trip. It's not just as easy as eating a bunch of DMT and tripping though. Usually our stomachs can break down DMT due to these enzymes called MAO. So what you need is an MAO inhibitor. They stop the enzymes from working and so DMT can reach our blood and then our brains and then have all of its effects. It's amazing because these communities that were using DMT knew about the need to have this MAO inhibitor. Now, in the context of the toad, there's these things that are called snuffs, which you inhale through your nose that actually work as inhibitors and allow DMT to reach your brain. Licking the toad isn't your only option, actually. You can also smoke it if you collect the juice and dry it up. When done like this, the trip comes on instantly, within a few seconds. It's really intense and it passes within a, around 10-15 minutes. DMT isn't just found in the toads, though. It's found all across the world in plants and animals. We actually make it ourselves in our brains when we sleep. Some people think DMT is why we dream. Now, DMT in other forms has been used by cultures all around the world, in things like ayahuasca. This is also used in Amazonian tribes, and it's this psychedelic DMT drink. It's a tea that has been used for thousands of years and for so many different uses, but I'll leave all that for another episode. At the moment, DMT is in fact illegal. In America, they're categorized as a Schedule One substance. This means that, according to the government, they have no therapeutic or med medicinal value. And I'd like to just say that that is completely factually incorrect. Now, the illegalization of psychedelics came in the early 70s, I want to say 1971, when Nixon started the really famous war on drugs. Now, the choice was a response to all of the countercultures of the 60s. Things like the hippie movement and Black Lives Matter, as well as the anti-war movement, all of these had psychedelics at their heart. And by illegalizing it, it was a kind of political way to stop all of these cultures from rising. There was no scientific research to back the claims that the government made. The government actually funded a massive wash in the media to publish all of this, these fake scientific research about the fact that psychedelics cause instant death and mania and all of this nonsense. Today, though, there's progress being made in the legislation. And because of it, there's been loads and loads of research into how we can use these psychedelics for ourselves. There's a bunch of medical applications out there right now. And in places like Switzerland, you can sit down and have a guided MDMA or psilocybin trip. And the medicinal value is just unprecedented. Like the, it's helped with addiction and PTSD and anxiety and depression and things like this. 
I'm going to leave all that though, stuff like the war on drugs and the medicinal value I can talk about in future episodes if you guys want. The point though is just to say that all of these laws mean that the toads are kind of a gray area for the law. In America, I think in Arizona specifically, you're allowed to pick up and bag 10 toads if you have a fishing license. But if the police catch you holding it like up to your face to lick it, or milking it, then you could be charged with a criminal offence and you'd go to jail. As more and more people find out about the toad and all of its potential, they go and they rush and try it out themselves. And there's been quite a bad consequence of this. And it's that the Sonoran Desert Toad is actually a threatened species now. The toads need to be protected and respected. And it's not just because they have this visionary potential and because of all of these indigenous cultures that have historically used it. But it's also just because they're biologically really important. And they're animals, they're part of nature, they should be respected. They're really integral to the way the ecosystems function. And people going, taking toads, has led to them spreading in places that they shouldn't. For example, the cane toad is actually a really bad problem in Australia right now for similar reasons. People go, they take them, and they bring them home, and it just spreads and it goes out of control. Psychedelics are really, really exciting, but it's really important that people understand and respect them. There is such a rich and fascinating culture surrounding these toads, and I really hope that we can keep learning from them without posing them a threat. And that is episode two. So thank you so much for listening again. Um, thank you for all of the support, like the Kickstarter, the fact I was just waking up one day and seeing that it's been like 35% funded was insane. I'm, I'm so happy about that. Uh, I really enjoyed making the t-shirt art for this episode. So I hope you guys like that as well. Um, again, Linktree and bio, you can find everything you'll need. And I think that's it. So thank you so much. And I'll see you in episode three. The Bardo Loops.